0: Guru Nation, welcome to episode 402 of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. In this episode, you will listen to our June webinar. So the webinar for June 2020, we are talking about why physicians are hesitant to refer patients into clinical research. It's actually a topic that is pretty deep and broad as well. And we tackle things such as diversity in clinical trial participation and the whole grassroots approach that DSCS has really been founded on in helping community clinicians start their own research clinics. And so hopefully you find some value here in this roughly 45 minute uh, episode. And I talk a lot in there about the different things we have. So our site services, which we help sites get studies and grow and train. CRC Academy, CRA Academy. Links are in the show notes. Also, if you're interested in getting studies for your site, text me. 949-415-6256. And while you're at texting, text the word guru. G-U-R-U to 31996. Good things will happen at some point. It is my text list, I will not spam you. I only send like four texts a year. So text guru to 31996. Furthermore, if you wanna work on personal branding for yourself, for your business, which is something we actually talk about in this episode, Check out my Patreon channel. Link is in the show note. Patreon.com/slash DanSfera. It's only five bucks a month. Has weekly tips on uh, videos for how you can use social media to land more opportunities for yourself or for your business. And it also has a monthly mastermind where we meet up with other patrons from across the country uh, and actually across the world and discuss what they're working on. If you want to go ten bucks a month. You get a guaranteed phone call with me, 15-minute phone call every month, in addition to all the other stuff I just mentioned. So check that out, long enough of an intro. Hopefully you enjoy this episode. Take care.
1: Okay, recording started. We're on air now. Everybody hey, can hear us.
2: Uh, everybody. Welcome to the June, uh, last day of June, and the June webinar. Uh, for 2020. And this one is an important topic. So, Chris is going to load the slides up. Uh, You're there. Chris will also look at the chat. So, if you have questions, type them in the chat. We will get back to you. Uh, But this is an important topic. This is why physicians are generally hesitant to refer patients to clinical trials. And this was inspired by an interview I did with Dr. Al Jazirely, one of my favorite PIs out there. Um, and he was very candid about why doctors don't refer patients to clinical trials, even though they know it's probably a good idea. And we're going to get into this in this uh, webinar. So uh, we're on? We're on with everything?
1: Yeah, everything's on. We're still on slide one.
2: Yeah, so slide one, that's the title, How, Why Are Physicians Hesitant to Refer Patients to Clinical trials? So, Chris, you know, I kind of gave a teaser. We'll get into it, but why do you think?
1: Uh, I'd say the vast majority of physicians I refer um, patients because they're fearful of losing those patients. They think that it's, it's all about money, really. I mean, they're fearful that the the doctor they're referring their patient to for the study will take their patient from them. Maybe the patient will like that position more. Uh, Any number of reasons they could lose that patient.
0: Right, yeah.
2: Basically, I agree with you. Um, We can actually end that webinar right here because that's a good summary. Uh, I'm joking, of course, because we're going to have solutions, not just point out the problems. See, most webinars in this industry, they're very good at pointing out problems, uh, but I've rarely seen many with solutions in the webinars. Usually, they want to charge you for a solution, okay. have some kind of magic product or service, so we're not going to do any of that. We'll certainly charge sponsors for some of these things. We, we will, we'll talk about it, uh, and we'll get into it, but I guess we can go to slide two. Okay. Slide two. Slide two. What do we have here? Let me move along. Physicians have access to patients. So, obviously, this is what we want. As researchers, we want access to these patients. And they have the potential to improve the lack of patient participation. Not only that, we'll get into it as well. They have the potential to help clinical research with with the issue of diversity. I mean, Chris and I are doing this right now for two sponsors where they're needing help with diversity in their studies. So the physicians are the key, right? It's not going to be some clever marketing tool or a snazzy Super Bowl ad. You know, that's not going to work. What's going to work is getting physicians interested in research and getting them to see uh that there is actually a business opportunity for them. So appeal to the physician's uh sense of interest of of uh, financial interest and also I mean research who doesn't want to say that they're in research, right? Like it's just it sounds really uh cool to say um, but it also sounds intimidating to somebody who may not really know uh you know what what they're doing. So Pharma has not done a good job of this. Pharma has actually done a pretty bad job with making clinical research more accessible for research-naive physicians. What do you think about this, Chris?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, and they they kind of get in their own way, sponsors do, of of involving new physicians because they, they make the hurdles kind of tough to get over in terms of a research-naive physician uh, accessing clinical trials. They make it very difficult for those physicians. So um, they're kind of limiting their own resources for accessing these patients.
2: Right. So physicians are in a unique position because they are familiar with their patient's medical history and have their patient's trust. So this is very important, and it's also something that, I mean, Industry has to know this, but there's just so much work that goes on with onboarding new physicians that it seems like a much easier solution to just somehow convince more doctors to refer their patients to studies but don't actually do the study yourself because, doctor, you don't know what you're doing when it comes to research. We'll, we'll take care of that, but you send us your patients. Okay. Nope. So you see how that doesn't sound very appealing to anybody with common sense as a physician and also an entrepreneur. I mean, these these physicians with private practices are small businesses, right? Uh, well, we're not talking about physicians that work for Kaiser or work at teaching hospitals. You know, a lot of those guys are actually doing research they're forced to do research because they're employees of that organization. We're talking about mom-and-pop community clinicians. And there are strategies to try to get them to refer their patients, but really the best solution, in our opinion, is to teach them and show them the opportunities that they actually have to do research. So we'll go through more of these examples on these slides. I think there's eight slides, so we can go on slide three now. And any questions, let us know in the chat, okay? And if you're watching the replay on YouTube or or listening on the podcast, you can just reach out with questions as well. So the next slide, do you want to uh, go through that one?
1: Sure. Physicians have access to patients. Physicians, especially those with private practices, regularly see patients who could potentially meet study criteria for clinical trials. Absolutely. I mean, of course, it uh, seems to be relatively obvious. Um, physicians are the resource for more patients, and many physicians will have patients that will meet the inclusion criteria and hopefully none of the exclusion criteria for any given trial. Um, yes.
2: So now the real the real meat of this slide is bullet point two. Yep. Okay. This is this is the problem in research. The a frustrating problem for pharma, but it doesn't have to be. And we're, you know, we've been tasked with doing two diversity projects for big pharma. And this is the, you know, the next slides are going to be more solutions,
1: solution-oriented. All right. So although physicians have access to many patients, few are willing to refer any patients to clinical trials, especially if they're not their own clinical trial or somehow directly involved.
2: Right. So I asked Dr. Al this question. I said, why, you know, these are colleagues of yours. You're in research now. He's a site owner and he's a community-based oncologist. Um, but so he's been in business for like two years now. And as far as research, But he's been a private practice physician for like 20 or 30 years. So he knows these, his colleagues have known him for 20 years. And, he will try to get referrals from them and they're not really interested, right? And so if he's having problems with people he's known for decades, you know, what makes anyone think that a pharma company can get doctors interested in referring to to PIs that they never met, right? Or even worse, potential competitors. So these physicians... Are protecting their patient. It, it is a lot about money. They don't want to lose patients. But it's also about time. Like, if a doctor doesn't know what's all involved in a clinical study, and they're not going to want to learn because it's not their study. They have nothing really to gain from it by learning about a study. It takes time to learn about a protocol. And in that time period, they could see like five more patients, right? Maybe six more patients. So there's no incentive for them, sadly, even if it benefits their patients. um, However, in oncology, you do see this is a little easier, getting referrals from clinicians. Usually it's because the patients are asking, hey, doctor, you know, I want to join a clinical trial. And then that doctor may not have studies, but because their patients keep asking for it, they find doctors who are providing that. But outside of oncology, it doesn't really happen. And we need to fix this problem, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. Uh, Any other
2: reasons why they won't refer? No. Other than time and the potential of losing the patient, I think potential liability also. You know, if they join a study, if they refer a patient to join a study and something bad happens to that patient, you know, that patient's going to potentially come after everybody, including the doctor that referred him.
1: Sure. I think there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding about research as well. Um, So, yeah, absolutely. uh, Physicians fear um, potential liability. I would agree.
2: That's right. Okay, next slide. Number four. What physicians prefer? So most physicians would rather not get involved in clinical research because they know that study participants require extra attention. So this is, when, this is when you approach just a regular physician, not about a referral, but about doing a study themselves, right? For example, if a doctor can see 20 patients from their own practice in one day, and that's light. I mean, some of these doctors see like 60 patients in a day. OK, from their private practice um, instead of five research subjects who, you know, need all kinds of things that the doctor's not used to doing. So this is this becomes a, you know, an educational issue. Like, how do these doctors uh, get comfortable with the research? Because if they saw the budget, if they saw a typical research budget, they would they would say, OK, this is worth our time. You know, but most don't even get to that point. Mm-hmm. And why do you think most don't get to that point?
1: Are you asking me or the audience?
2: Uh, well you, because the audience can't talk. So they could type. Oh, they could chat. You guys chat what you think. You know, what what you guys think. Why don't doctors get to this point?
1: Well, it depends on the doctor, right? If they're research naive, they're not offered any opportunities to do so. Um, and If they have past experience in research, well, they're not going to get to that point because they soured on research, as we've discussed in previous webinars. Um, Right. So it depends on the physician. Um, But, again, if the research is naive, they're just not given the opportunity. Right. It
2: depends on the physician for sure, but it also depends on the site owner or the entrepreneur or the pharma company. that has been brought on to try to bring on new positions to the studies. I mean, there's a big educational process that has to happen to where you get to the point of uh, talking about the budget. So once you get them to that point where they're interested in learning about the budget, then I think they'll be sold most of those times because the budgets are so good in research for the most part. Like, they're beyond fair for what kind of work they typically do.
1: Would you agree? Well, it depends on the sponsor, but for the most part, yes. That's 80% of the time that's accurate.
2: Right, and we're not asking them to do research instead of their private practice. You know, we're just asking them to add it as a service to their patients. Mm
1: -hmm. This is
2: how we get patient diversity, which is a hot topic right now, and how we get not just diversity, but just more patients of all nationalities in studies. Right? Like, we need more patients, period. Right? Of course we need more minorities in studies also. But we need more patients, period. There's not enough patients that are doing studies. And the, this issue is not, the um, we're not, the industry's not making any improvements in this. And I think they recognize this, which is why they're reaching out to us. Chris, especially about this diversity. uh, Absolutely. You know, which has been a problem in research from the beginning. I mean, since the Tuskegee incident,
1: really. Mm Mm-hmm. Understandably so.
2: Okay, slide five, obstacles. Okay, and then we're going to give you solutions. So the biggest obstacle to physician participation is physicians don't have time. Or at least they think they don't have time, right? Again, Chris and I—we've talked to doctors all the time. The first thing they say, besides "I don't want the liability," is "I don't have time." And it's kind of a myth that you don't have time, because most of them don't understand or have never heard of a study coordinator, and. Once you explain to them that, hey, there's this position called study coordinator, they handle literally most of the work for you. All you do is you're going to be a doctor and look at side effects and adverse events and lab results and ECG results and give your best, you know, treat your patient in your best clinical judgment, whether it's research or not. Once you explain it to them that way, it becomes easier, right? Right. And it's just a matter of having us processes to train the coordinators at this point, mm-hmm. or to find the coordinators. So with DSCS, we have turnkey solutions, where we, we can find interested doctors and say, "Hey, we'll bring you a coordinator." You know, we've already trained them. We have, thankfully, we have a CRC Academy that's nationwide and growing, CRA Academy nationwide and growing, a site network nationwide and growing. So. If We have all this infrastructure that you can leverage, right? We have, we have solutions for you. And if you're an entrepreneur out there or if you're like a sponsor looking to get more physicians, this is what you've got to do. You've, you've got leverage. You need to know how to use that to your advantage to get the physicians interested in joining. Uh, what do you think, Chris?
1: Yeah, I mean, and so you actually previewed the slides this time. I did not. Um, so hopefully yeah, we're what? going to get, Yeah. <laughs> hopefully there's going to be a solution here for established sites and how, how do they get positions to refer to their site? Right. right. Hopefully, hopefully we're going to, we're going to tackle that, that hurdle. That's a little jumping over hurdles here. Yeah, we
2: do, we do, we do provide solutions, um, of course, and uh, those are coming, but we've also already talked about a few solutions, you know, like, what I just said about building that infrastructure and leveraging, like, these physicians have no idea, but if you approach them in a way that says, hey, we already did a lot of the hard work for you, it's just a matter of now you plugging in and being a doctor like you already are.
1: Sure, onboarding new physicians.
2: Right, right. So you want to read that last bullet point?
1: Sure. Physicians who have their own practice can't dedicate much time to explaining studies to patients because they have other patients to see. Um, sure, <laughs> sure. But what does it take? But at the same time, what does it take for a physician to say, you know, we have a clinical trial I think might benefit you. Um, this disorder you have, whatever it might be. Um, if you have any interest, please uh, see whoever at the front desk, and they can go into greater detail with you.
2: Right, yeah, and that you can sell that to a physician because it's correct. That's the, that's their, that's the reality that they may not know. You can sell that to a physician who has clinical research opportunities in their office. But what Mm -hmm. about the ones that you're just asking for a referral from that really have no stake in your study? Yeah. You know, they're not going to spend time explaining studies to them unless they see something that will benefit the patient to the Mm -hmm. point where the opportunity for the patient outweighs the liability for the doctor, which may be impossible if they don't know the study, right? Or they're just. Really good friends with the PI who's asking for the referral, and they trust them, which does happen. But we sure. can't build we can't build a, an industry and make a huge dent in this problem with using that strategy. It's just not going to work. Right? Goodwill mm-hmm. can only take you so far, yeah. and so we need more. I mean, we've been saying this for six years now since we've started DSCS. We need more research naive physicians. Participating in research. Period, and I think mm-hmm. you and I will see that happen in our lifetime because we are putting all our efforts into
1: it. So who's the we? Who who does we encompass? Industry, right?
2: And if you want to go deeper than that, it's society as a whole because you know medications are typically tested a majority of like on white uh, on white people, right? So we have no idea how these drugs function in minorities. I mean, these are real concerns for society. Mm-hmm. And so if we have more minorities entering studies, we'll have a better idea of that. So I think it's we as the industry, because it's an immediate need, and we're aware of this problem. And then society as a whole, because it's a problem whether they realize it or not.
1: Yep. Nope. Nope.
2: And Ruth and I are working on doing this. We obviously need more people to do this. This is why... We like the fact that we have this platform, podcasts, YouTubes, webinars, where we can talk to industry about this and together make big dents. Because we can only do so much. I mean, our business is doing great. Last year was a record year for us. This year will be even better. But are we really making a dent in the industry? I mean, over time we are, right? But not to the extent that pharma needs it. So we need everybody out there to help out. Anybody who is capable to help out. And we've already had people from the community reaching out, Chris. After we mm-hmm. did that podcast, uh, we had a few people on Instagram saying, hey, I'm a minority-owned clinic. We have you know, only minority physicians. So this is exactly the kind of people that we want to attract. And not just minorities. We just want to attract research naive in general.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <clears throat> so that's my thoughts on this. It's actually a hot topic, not only because of what's going on in the news today. I mean, there's obvious signs of inequalities and, you know, people are having issues with not being included. And this is one of the our ways that we can help.
1: Yep, absolutely. Uh,
2: anything to add or you want to go to slide six?
1: No, well, I think you covered it quite well.
2: Okay, slide six. Here, you, you read this one.
1: <clears throat> All right, solutions for solutions. low...
2: Here's the solutions you were asking for.
1: Yeah, good. We, we need some solutions. Solutions mm-hmm. for low position participation. One of the first things to consider for improving position participation is compensation. And absolutely, that's usually, uh, I would say, at least 90% of what most people are looking for, right? How do, right. How do I increase my revenue?
2: Right. You want to empower community positions to create, you know, be self-sufficient and improve their businesses. So most of them are already doing private practice. So what's wrong with adding an additional revenue stream and offering more alternatives for their patients? I mean, there's really nothing wrong with that, and that should be the selling point for sponsors, or for people like us, for other entrepreneurs that go out there in the community and recruit physicians. You know, we just talked to a guy, Chris, before we did this webinar. He wants to go find, he's a minority, he wants to go find physicians uh, in his community so that we can improve minority participation in studies. Well, yep. he was asking for like a marketing tool. Like, what's a good marketing tool? And I told him, there's no such thing. The marketing tool is youth. You know, it's your brain and your mouth. You need to go tell these doctors why they need to do this. And when the reason Chris and I are so enthusiastic about this is because we know how lucrative this could be and how like, research could be a true game changer for a clinic and for their patients. I mean, you always want to be able to offer more to your patients, not less. You always want to be on the cutting edge of new medications And technologies, and who doesn't need, who in business doesn't need additional revenue streams? Right? At high profit margins, you should add.
1: Yep. Absolutely correct.
2: So, um, yeah.
1: So, some physicians can also become interested in the study after learning more about the protocol.
2: Yeah. Yeah, this is true. But the challenge is getting to that point, having them sit down and learn about a protocol, who's going to want to do that when they could see, you know, five more patients and, and bill Medicare, bill insurance for that. I mean, it's literally time is money here. So you have to approach first with the opportunity, not with the, what they have to do. A lot of people approach physicians, but you know, they get started on the wrong foot. It's like, Hey, we have a study. We need you to refer patients. And then the doctor's thinking, well, you know, why do I need to do that? I'm not going to do that. Uh, and then the next thing is usually we can teach you more about the study. And the physician, may maybe they're not rude or they don't want to be rude, so they're just going to say, okay, I don't have time now, but, you know, schedule with my secretary and we'll, we'll set up a time, and that never happens. Because we're approaching them the wrong way. You've got to approach them with the opportunity, show them the opportunity they have in starting their own clinic. And you can tell them, hey, we have our own clinic. You help us out as a sub-I. You'll learn the process. And we'll be happy to help you start your own clinic. So it's solving your problem. You're going to be more likely to get referrals now. And, yeah, you might be creating a competitor, but you also might be creating a business partner. And sometimes these doctors don't even want to do their own clinic. They just want to be remain sub So I, I think it's more to gain than to lose
1: from this strategy. And so, my, so implementation of the strategy, does it take some salesmanship on somebody's behalf?
2: Yes, a lot. Lots of uh, persuasion skills, soft skills, uh, things that you don't typically associate with research. Uh, Like soft skills, basically. Uh, Mm -hmm. People can go read How to Win Friends and Influence People. They can go read Never Split the Difference. I mean, there's all kinds of books on this. There's webinars on sales. If you guys want to solve this problem, you're going to have to get good at that persuasion and sales we teach this all, all all of this by the way in our crc academy in our site owner academy we teach this to our clients in addition to getting them studies we teach them how to do this and we even teach it to some extent in our cra academy when they come internship i mean i think all these products and services take the dna from the founders you know and you and i have entrepreneurial dna and you know, our instructors do as well. I mean if you look at Tiffany and Monica, you know, so this is all part of who they are. And not to plug our own things, but hey, you asked the question, so that's the answer to that one. Persuasion <laughs> matters. Start? Selling matters. Absolutely. Personal branding matters, okay? I have a Patreon channel teaches you since we're plugging things, teaches you how to personal brand Five bucks a month plus a monthly mastermind. Can you believe, Chris? Five bucks a month. Okay, for the price of one Starbucks per month.
1: That's great. I'm just looking at who's attending right now. I noticed that Dr. Al is attending.
2: Dr. Al is the ultimate salesman, and he is the one who inspired this webinar. I will forever Mm -hmm. be grateful to him for inspiring this webinar.
1: That's that's, uh, deserving of of forever uh, gratefulness. And he uh, yep. tried to I'm here. Good. This
2: this one's for you, Dr. Al. Um, right. Slide seven.
1: Yep, slide seven.
2: Want to do this one too?
1: All right. So physicians who don't think they can dedicate an adequate amount of time to research should be encouraged to take on smaller roles or, in some cases, be offered credit during publication in the cases of IITs. By IITs.
2: Yeah, so IITs, for those that don't know, are investigator-initiated trials, and it's a great way to actually get started. It's also probably the least likely way to get started, but also the greatest <laughs> way to get started. So we know re- Dr. Al's doing IIT. I mean, this is one of the, his first studies was IIT. We know other doctors, Dr. Hazen, sponsoring her own IIT. You know, these people are out there. You just got to connect with them. And this is where, you know, not to plug the Patreon too much, but personal branding comes in. Because on LinkedIn, networking is personal branding. It starts with the personal branding, and then it goes to what what you can do. So finding the opportunity, if you're a physician who... Wants to get into research? Well, you just need to go on LinkedIn and look for other doctors doing research. I mean, they would love to work with you. Like, even ask Doctor Al in the chat, Doctor Al, if a patient, if a physician came to you right now and said, "Hey, I'm interested in doing research. Can I sub I for you?" I mean, of course, who wouldn't say yes to this, right? And this is this is. I think IITs are a good way to get started. I also think. Phase four studies, observational studies that we talk about a lot, uh, Chris, are a great way to get started. You can go on, any doctor right now can go on clinicaltrials.gov and just check phase four and check United States, or if you're in another country, just check your country, and look at the most likely studies you can get as a research-naive doctor. Uh, and also the easiest studies to get started with. This is how I got started in research, through my dad. He had a Phase four study. It was a real-world study. I was 20 years old at the time in college. During summer, I would come home. I thought it would look good on my resume for med school. And I was the coordinator. I didn't know that that's what it was called, but I was a coordinator filling out quality-of-life forms from patients, quality-of-life surveys, and making sure they were taking their meds. And that's how I got my foot in in the door. and And
1: Dr. Dr. Al responded he says says 100% he'll take an SI.
2: Yeah, of course. Of course. So, guys, the solutions are there. Okay. And physicians are more likely to refer when they have some form of relationship with research sites or, of course, when they own the site outright. Now, don't assume that just because you partnered with a doctor, so they're your business partner now, that they are going to automatically start referring. Even more so if they oversee, like in our last business, Chris, this business is still around. If the PI who's a business partner oversees like 15 nurse practitioners, Okay, just because he or she is an owner with you does not mean that they are going to convince their other staff to recruit free. That's still going to boil down to you, the research site owner, because see, for the same reasons we just mentioned, just because he or she is a part owner with you doesn't mean that he or she wants to jeopardize his other business relationships with their other clinicians that don't know the first thing about research. So we made that mistake where we assumed, okay, this guy's going to take care of everything because, you know, he's in charge of 20 nurse practitioners, five other doctors. It doesn't work that way.
1: Okay. He had more to lose. It might, might. most likely not.
2: Most likely not because in his mind and, This is logical and rational. He has more to lose by something going wrong. And then, you know, he stands more to lose with his clinicians leaving than he does to gain by having more patients in the studies. And that was where someone like Chris and I need to come in. And then later we brought on Monica to help to do the, it's basically community outreach for your own staff. Which sounds crazy, but it's kind of what you need in these yes. cases with these big groups. So yep. don't make the assumption, don't make the same mistake we made. Where you think, okay, we got this PI, he's a big big shot, he's in charge of all these people, and then it you know, the patients are just gonna appear in the studies. It doesn't happen that way. Unfortunately yep. it does not happen that way.
1: Yep. Alright, so Physicians are more likely to refer when they have some form of relationship with research sites or on the site outright. Yeah,
2: that's the one we just did. Uh, I'm still on the last light and slide 8.
1: Sorry, you're breaking up, Dan.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, we did that one. We just did that one, so we're on slide 8.
1: Yeah, you're still breaking up. Hello? Hello. There, that's uh, clear. That's better.
2: Yeah, yeah, we just did that one, so we can move to slide eight. Okay. Uh, last slide, okay, working with physicians. And by the way, guys, comment away. We want to see comments in the chat room. Last slide, working with physicians. Each physician has unique priorities, and recruiting them requires an individualized approach. So, yes, so this is basically saying one strategy does not fit, you know, one solution does not fit for every single position that you're going to come across. Like the phone call we had earlier, you know, the guy was asking for a marketing tool that's going to work miracles, and we told him, unfortunately, it doesn't exist, because like you said, Chris, this is sales and persuasion, right? And to be good at sales, you kind of have to be a good chameleon. I think you told me that once.
1: Yes, that's right. And I agree. I heard that from others.
2: Yeah, you have to mirror. I think another term for it is mirroring, you know, what they want. The guy from Mm -hmm. the Chris Voss from Never Split the Difference, that's what he says, mirroring what they need. So figure out what they want, mirror that. So unfortunately, there is no cookie-cutter solution to this it's some doctors are going to want equity and they want to build a big site network. Other doctors just want to do small IITs because they're truly interested in the science more than the business. Other doctors never want to be the PI, but they're fine being the sub if they get compensated fairly. Uh, I mean, there's all kinds of different reasons why physicians want to do research and it's never going to be the same reason, even if they're from, similar reasons, they're never going to be exactly the same. I mean, we've worked with, I don't know, 50 or more physicians now in our lives, maybe 100 in our career. And while some may have more in common with each other than others, I've never met one where it was like identical to someone else, as far as their wants and their personalities and all that stuff. So it's truly unique. And... It requires an individualized approach, and it requires a lot of hand-holding early on. Uh, once a physician decides to become involved in research, the best thing to do is to have them be contractors or employees. I agree. I think you do too, Chris. You don't want to jump the gun and offer partnership right away.
1: Unless, the- unless you come across that, uh, that you know diamond in the rough, that, you think is going to fill every possible or conceivable uh, business aspect that that you are looking to get yourself into, right? I mean, you might come across that person and you want to lock them up right away. And that nothing wrong with that. But typically you're going to want to um, kind of feel the person out a little bit before partnership.
2: Right. And that's because it's easier, you know, if things go wrong, it's easier, it's just cleaner to walk away than it is if you're in business, uh, you know, business together. Um, But trust your gut, because maybe you find a doctor that you think, okay, you know, he or she wants equity, and this is going to be my only chance. If I don't do it, someone else will. But Just be careful, you know. If you can, start out with Contractor or employee relationship, and maybe even let them know, hey, if you're interested in partnering, we can. Do you mind starting out as a contractor to see how we work together? Um, you know that typically gets a yes from most people. In that case, and the last one was what we've been talking about the whole day. So, industry should encourage more research naive physicians. Now the problem mm-hmm. is they don't want to do it. Because it's a lot of work. So that's where the opportunity comes for companies like ours. And we'll, mm-hmm. we'll take those projects.
1: Most definitely.
2: We'll definitely take those projects. So that's it for the webinar. And just for a little bit and see if there's questions.
1: Yep, one has a uh, comment here or a question. I don't know. It's uh, relatively long. So let's uh, let's see, she says, hey, y'all, greetings from Texas. The site should also consider networking events and, and forums where physicians go. At, nev- at networking events and forums, you can meet other physicians that may be interested in research. Possibilities, exactly. are, created. Possibilities are created when you connect and build a relationship with other physicians.
2: Exactly right, Gislin. And... Um... I would take that a step further. You know, we learned this from uh, Sherry from our back in the day, a few months ago when the pandemic first started, where we had daily guru meetups. One of the tools they recommended was Alignable. This, this website called Alignable. And I I made a profile, but I haven't used it, but people on there have used it because they listen to the, Meetup, and they actually said that they got doctors to reach out to them from there.
1: Yeah, yeah, I created so an account.
2: Exactly, exactly what the one. Maybe uh, we need to get back into doing that. Uh, I'll play around. I'll actually play around with it today. I some time.
1: I created an account as well with Alignable, and Dr. Ella uh, tried to make a connection. I have yet to get back on it, so I need to accept it. But yeah, you uh, every day I receive somebody reaching out.
2: Now you see. So I'm going to play around with one, too. I think I created one. I just haven't used it. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's exactly what I did as well.
2: But exactly right, Jocelyn. Exactly mm-hmm. right. And, you know, networking's become a lot harder with COVID. I mean, now we pretty much just have to do online. Um, so LinkedIn, this is why personal branding is so important. You know, it's kind of why my Patreon channel has been growing, too. Um But yeah, like using tools like Alignable, building your personal brand online, showing value to people you're trying to reach. I mean, there's so much. Like look what we're doing with the clinical scoop. You know, me, you, Dr. Al, and occasionally Monica. You know, we're trying to reach more doctors by creating content that they'd be interested in and making it practical for them. So we're practicing what we preach, guys and everybody can do this everybody who wants to do this can do this not everybody wants to but I'm assuming if you're listening this long to the webinar that you do want to do this so these are the strategies and tools anything else? Uh,
1: Mary Seneca uh, has a chat here it says excellent perspective not as easy as it seems thanks guys yeah, definitely not easy. <laughs> I guess we
2: should preface it with this. These are simple solutions. Oftentimes, the simplest things are the hardest to execute. I mean, just look at losing weight. You know, people spend billions a year on diets and exercise and fads. And really, all you got to do is eat right and exercise.
1: That's a great I mean, example. Yep. Simple, yeah. simple solution.
2: Simple but difficult to do, you know, or to use a sports analogy. I mean, you want to win games, you got to learn how to block and tackle. You know, that's simple, but it's Mm -hmm. uh, difficult to pull off.
1: Yeah. So same thing with this. Yep. Well, uh, does anybody else have any questions or statements? Uh, Dr. Ellis is very good, Dan and Chris.
2: Thank you, Dr. Okay. L. I look forward to the Clinical Scoop tomorrow, and I'm uh, working on finding the topic, the studies that we're going to talk about. People need to join the Clinical Scoop. Um, I guess for now, go to the YouTube channel and subscribe to the Clinical Scoop. Um, you can also go on clinicalscoop.com, but we're not broadcasting a live there yet. Uh, but we will soon. So the easiest thing now is to go to the clinical scoop on YouTube and eventually after tomorrow, we'll actually have a podcast as well.
1: Uh, Jezlin asks, what are your thoughts on subject recruitment vendors? Uh,
2: I think they're good when they are affordable, which most are not. Um, I think the ones that are more affordable for sites uh, sometimes produce results, but you cannot build a business as a site based on just using them to recruit patients because you're going to come across many studies where you're not able to move the needle. And they definitely don't use this strategy of... Uh, reaching out to physicians. You know, they they use a lot of, most of these vendors use TV, radio, Facebook ads, which works, but you're paying for it. And it's also not very reliable and not very consistent uh, when building a business. I would not build a research site foundation off of a patient vendor uh, strategy of bringing in the majority of my patients. It's a good supplement, you know, but it's not the main strategy.
1: Yep, I would agree. For the most part, when a patient recruitment vendor can supply patients, uh, you could just as easily do it yourself. Whether it's (laughs) successful, you can just do it as easily yourself and not pay somebody to do it.
2: Right. And it seems like for those studies where you actually need them, they're not able to do anything.
1: <laughs> exactly. So they really serve no purpose.
2: Right. Other than giving the sponsor a little boost
1: um, here and there. Yep. Yep. They they can fill in the time gaps. Uh, you know, cause patient recruitment does take time. Right. So whether successful, maybe maybe the site doesn't have time, so they can do that for you. Right. But you're still going to have to dedicate some time because all they're going to do is provide you with the contacts. They're not going to truly for the most part, they're not going to truly bring on board patients for studies.
2: Absolutely right. Any more questions? Or shall I go have a lunch?
1: Yeah, I think lunch is uh, beckoning, beckoning <laughs> you, Dan.
2: Well, replay will be sent to everyone who registered. Thank you very much. And I'll also publish it on YouTube tomorrow and the podcast today. So thank you, Chris, and thank you, everybody.
1: Yep, thank you. Thank you for staying with us. Have a good day, A a good month until we do this again
0: so hey everybody thank you very much for listening to another episode of random musings from the clinical trials guru again if you haven't already make sure you subscribe to this podcast make sure you leave a review if you could be so kind please uh, and also go to the clinicaltrialsguru.com if you're interested in learning more about who i am who some of my guests are uh, you can have access to some of my youtube videos uh, i do a lot of videos about clinical research so go to the clinical trials Guru.com and you can also call or text me anytime 949-415-6256. Also follow me on any social media platform. It's Dan Svera. And you can also email me if you'd like Dan at the Clinicaltrialsguru.com. Thank you very much.